Well, the series really is all about the study of God's word. I realize I'm calling it learn to study, but it's not all going to be about learning to study. There's going to be some learning reasons behind study, learning uh, what the usefulness of study is. But as we begin our discussion tonight, I think it's fascinating that there was a quote from this morning's sermon that really made me think about it again. And I said, I have to use that quote that came just this morning in this morning service for our first discussion uh, on study and theology. We're asking the question, by the way, tonight, why is study important? Here's the quote. I went back and, and researched it a bit, and it's from John Bunyan in a 1679 treatise on the fear of God. I wasn't aware of this treatise before, but I read about 70 or 80% of it today. I didn't quite get through the whole thing. But it's got some great quotes. I could have used 10 quotes from this on the fear of God. Keep in mind, it's not about Bible study. It's on the fear of God. But here's what he says. You might recall this from this morning's message. The fear of God flows from an impression, a sound impression, that the word of God makes on our souls. For without an impress of the word, there is no fear of God. Without the word of God essentially making a stamp on us, there's no fear of God. He continues this way. This is John Bunyan. Hence, it is said that God gave to Israel good laws, statutes, and judgments that they might learn them, and in learning them, learn to fear the Lord their God. He says, if he, if this person who is learning to fear God, drinks in much of the word of God, he feareth him greatly. If he drinketh in but a little, he feareth him but a little. If he drinketh it not at all, he feareth him not at all. So the person who drinks greatly in the word of God tends to have a great fear of God. The one who just drinks little tends to have little fear of God. Men who've loved and served God throughout history really have spoken of the requirement of knowing and understanding and embracing the scriptures. Certainly in this treatise, from 1679, John Bunyan said, we should have a, a great passion, a great concern for knowing the scriptures because of what they do. But they have not spoken, those great men of God have not spoken as much of the requirement to know and to understand and embrace the scriptures as the scriptures do. 
They remind us from their beginning to their ending that in them we find the knowledge of God. We find insight into his mind and we find an explanation of his person. So it is for us then to discover how we may enhance our study, not simply for knowledge gathering or for education, although certainly for knowledge gathering and information, not to the exclusion of that, but also for increasing the depth of our relationship with him. And so we begin by asking, why is study important? I mean, why do we take these services together and the, the, the thing that happens after we sing is someone comes up here, whether it's Pastor Walton or anybody else who happens to be here, like Pastor Kevin this morning, and says, turn to this passage of Scripture. We want to look deeply at it. We want to concentrate on it. We want to look into it. We want to think about it. We want to grapple with it in whatever way we need to grapple with it. Why is that important? What is it in theology that would compel us to become a studious disciple? Well, in addressing this, I found it rather difficult to overlook Jesus' words about the Bible just before he was crucified. And I I had a certain desire to overlook it because I've taught on it a few times, especially in this class. Um, But I want to address John 17 again. So if you're familiar with our last series, I did address John 17 at the beginning of our last series uh, and and, uh Our series on John, I addressed it as well, but I want to go back in regards to the the word of God. If you know anything about the 17th chapter of John, you'll know that in it, Jesus prays for his disciples. He confirms our future persecution, not just the persecution of those that were there with him at that time, but the future persecution of all believers, all disciples of his. And he tells us why that will happen. And then he reminds us how we will be strengthened and how we will be fortified through that persecution. Now, I want to emphasize again that this is not just for the disciples of his day, those that that were right there at the time that he was praying for. We are mentioned, by the way, without mistake in this chapter. And he says that we must be sanctified for what the future holds. Sanctified for his purposes in our lives. Sanctified for what we will face personally. But set apart for God. Let's read just verses 9 through 11 of John 17. Then we'll talk about those. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. He was going right to be crucified, to die, be buried, raise again from the dead. 
but these are in the world. They're staying here. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, and that they may be one as we are. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone belong to God. And we've been given the ability, thankfully he says that's what these disciples were doing and the future disciples no doubt would do it as well. We've been given the ability to glorify God by reflecting his attributes. That's what glorifying God is. Taking whatever he is and reflecting it. And that can be done well or can be done poorly, but that's what glorifying God is. This time, when Jesus would die, when he'd be buried, when he'd raise again from the dead, and he'd return to his Father, he's asking that his disciples, who will remain in this place, although he will not leave them comfortless, he'll give them another comfort, he'll be with them and dwell in them. But he asked his Father to keep his disciples and to give his disciples unity. Clearly what we know about these original disciples and what we know about ourselves, if we know anything about them, and if we know anything about ourselves, we know that growth and change and development and strengthening are going to be needed. I mean, that was certainly the case for them if you read about the things that they faced, and it's, it's no different for us. And so that's emphasized as Jesus goes on in verse 12 of John 17. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. Talking about Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So while Jesus was with his disciples, he taught them. He gave them God's word. But they were hated. They were hated because they were foreigners on the earth, just as he was. But they were being, by him, equipped. They needed to be. Because this hatred was going to lead to violent action against them. And so there was going to need to be something deeper in them, some change that took place in them, some transformation that would make them capable of getting through that violent action that would come against them, among other things. He would soon depart, but his word would continue, his teaching would no doubt ring in their ears. It rings in our ears reading um, the account of him saying it. I, I can only imagine that his voice made even uh, a difference to how they remembered it and the strength with which they clung to it. 
And so they would need to continue in it. Continue in the word that he gave them from God to refine their character in such a way that they would be prepared for whatever would come. And they would have to not only live in that word of God, but they would also have to teach it. Because they're going to get a command very soon here from him, a commission from him that we all have to teach. Talk about that in later lessons about our command to teach. Verse 15 of John chapter 17. See what Jesus goes on to say about it. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I just sort of thought about this as I was reading it. You know, he really emphasizes that um, those who are his disciples are different. They're not of this world. They're from a, um, they are uh, members in a kingdom that is totally separate. And then he talks about them being sanctified, being set apart. And I thought about how if we belong to this world, we, we follow the things that this world teaches. But if we belong to somewhere else, we need to follow the things that that somewhere else teaches. That's certainly the case. But his prayer here is not that they be removed. So whatever violent conflict was to come their way, whatever persecution was to come, they were not to be removed. As citizens of God's kingdom, they were going to go to him. They were going to be with him soon enough. But his prayer that they would be sanctified. That's what his prayer was. And that sanctification would come through God's word. To be sanctified, you'll probably know, is to be set apart from profane things and dedicated to God. It's to be cleansed and to be consecrated for his exclusive service. And God provides truth to do this work in us. And that's the scriptures. It's exactly what he said. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible urges us always toward greater unity with Christ and toward a deeper connection with God. And when we're drawn closer to Christ, we're pulled farther away from the world, from the world's teaching, from the world's influences. There's not a total lack of pain and difficulty in that. For our natural state would be to remain under the world's influence, to continue in the world's teaching, and to follow that which the world promotes, which is selfish and self-centered and self-gratifying. But God, in his pointing us to Scripture, is drawing us away from the world and its influence. And our desire is to no longer be to please ourselves, as the world would urge, 
but to please the one who created us. Because, again, among other things, those who know Christ have a job to do. We have a mission to carry out. We have a service to render. And we're going to be in need of this equipping that we've already talked about. In fact, it's going to be impossible to carry out the mission successfully without this alteration and this outfitting and this information. If you've ever um, been in a, a wild place, and you are going to trek out into this wild place. I lived in Alaska for 10 years, and I've been able to go out into the wilderness a bit. When I lived in Washington, hunting trips and things, you'd go out into the wilderness. Even here on Guam, there's some places you can go, and you'll, you'll, you'll need some things. You'll need to be equipped And you won't know what's out there. If you're in a place like Alaska, in the wilderness, you won't know what's out there. You'll have imaginations and visions of what is out there, but you'll need somebody else to help you, somebody who's been there, somebody who's seen it, who can realize what the dangers are, what the difficulties are, what the hardships are, what the joys are. Whatever you may face, you need some equipping you need some outfitting. They used to call the uh, those who would equip people to go out into the wilderness, they would call them outfitters. And they would give you a, a pep talk before you went out. I remember that uh, um, we had a name for people who went out unprepared into the wilderness of Alaska. We would call them a chichaco. Person who was a chichaco, they did not understand what was out there and what lie ahead for them, what uh, what things they would face, whether they be good things or whether they be dangerous things. Although there's a few more dangerous things than wonderful things sometimes, depending on where you go and what you do. The the chichaco would get themselves no doubt into some trouble because they hadn't been properly outfitted to make the trek. I mean, we're going to need some outfitting for what's ahead. I'm getting sort of into another uh, part of our lesson, which is what does the, the scripture do for us? But there's a moment there when we can talk about that. I mean, we have this service to render, this commission that we're going to be given by Jesus not long after this. We need outfitting for the way. Because he's already said it's going to be dangerous. Verses 18 through 21 of John 17. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Goes right back to it. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which believe on me through their word. You should see yourself in that verse. That they all may be one, 
as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, we could talk a lot about how um, things like the scripture, among other things in the church, draw us together as one, as we're unified in spirit and in truth. I want to just talk about mostly the scripture. He's going to go and he's going to command all who believe to go and to preach. And he has lived, and he'll soon die, but he has lived having done exactly what God commanded. That's what we believe about him theologically, that he was without sin. He's he's lived according to the truth. And his disciples are going to need to follow his example and obey in this way. Because the message of redemption, which he's about to complete for the world, by the way, must be spread far and wide. And it can only be spread by a specific kind of people. And that is a set-apart people. This is why the scripture and the study of it becomes so important to us. Because we have a life's work. We have a a whole-of-life mission. Because to grow into his likeness, to do this work, we have only one tool that works in conjunction with God's Holy Spirit to change us. That's the Bible. And he uses its truth within us to transform our every thought and our every action. So we find ourselves going back to Old Testament passages of Scripture to get a reminder of what his word is. I'm going to go back to a New Testament passage as well. But I want to just remind you of something that was said in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, verse 8 says, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. And we're not keepers of the Old Testament law in this new covenant. But what we are is we're lovers of all God has said, and we're students who rightly divide the word of truth. 
I mean, we meditate upon it. We study it. We learn from its people. If we're to go back to these Old Testament passages, that's almost exclusively what we're doing. We're learning from its God's people, Israel. And we're finding in it examples. And it's a light on life's often very dark path. It's a guidebook for what no doubt will be a treacherous journey. This is the case for the early disciples, and it's the case for us. I mean, study is important. I think I want to go back to this passage later and will, but just notice some of the things in it. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converts the soul. Things that God says are sure. I mean, do you want something sure in this life? I mean, I just think about how we perhaps could see these words and, and overlook them and ho-hum to them if we know them. When the world is clamoring for something perfect and something sure and something that could give them wisdom in their simplicity could give them wisdom says the statutes of the Lord are right I mean we're wondering what is right today which is right who is right well I'll tell you this the statutes of the Lord are right they rejoice the heart it's not just that they're right I mean they're definitely right but they bring this rejoicing of heart They enlighten the eyes. They're pure. In conjunction with the quote we read earlier, then we go back to the fear of the Lord. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean. No doubt these things in the word of God, these attributes of the word of God lead us to the fear of the Lord. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then it says this, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. You know, I've thought about um, what many in this world seek. Um, I've talked to and heard from a few uh, young people lately, and they sometimes will say, well, we don't uh, want to pursue money like, you know, generations before us. We're, we're going to pursue experiences, right? You ever heard something like that? I realize there's a group who who are always after money. There's some who are always after experiences. Well, I'll tell you what the Word of God does. It, it brings you something that's better than money and, and better than experiences. I've never had the experience of taking uh, a piece of a honeycomb right from a, a you know, uh, the, right out of the hive and, and biting out of it. I've never done that. I'm told that's a wonderful experience. Well, you think that's good? Something better than that. Then it says this, as it sort of always comes back to, moreover, by them is thy servant warned. That's sort of back to the outfitting idea that we talked about a few minutes ago, because it's going to be a, a difficult path. It's perhaps going to be sometimes a dark path. We're going to stumble along it. and uh, um, But the Bible can give us warning about what we may face, and does give us warning, gives us clear warning. And sometimes when we read of those 
um, Old Testament saints, we, and we understand what they went through, it just really enlightens us as to what we may face. But I want to remind us as well about what the New Testament says the Scripture is, what it reminds us of. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 should be emphasized, verse 16 and 17, when it tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I like that phrase. There's another phrase that's used that's um, just a, a different translation that says, all Scripture is God-breathed. They both kind of help you to understand what we're looking at here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine. I mean, for that solid foundation of teaching that we're going to need. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, truly furnished unto all good works. What we're talking about here in this scripture is we're talking about something that came directly from God. I mean, something that comes directly from God deserves deep consideration. For when we deeply consider it, it provides for us something we do need, that doctrinal foundation, a, a body of belief that we can stand on when times do get difficult. Because that body of belief is about our God. It also reproves us. It directs us back to the right path. Because it's assuming here that we will from time to time get off the path. Gives us an ongoing series of internal tools aided by the Holy Spirit to think and to act and to live righteously. So we can be personally, completely, what God intends for us to be. And so that we can carry out his assigned mission for us. They're not mentioned very often, but I think they're really helpful in this case. I want to leave you with some words in this regard that were said to Timothy immediately before these words. So verses 14 and 15. We read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, but I want to read to you verses 14 and 15. In the way they're said, and in, in our minds as we read them, we, we see them as, as being directed directly at Timothy, and we correctly do that. But I just want to read them to you. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, 
and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. You see what I mean? We're, we're, we're thinking about Timothy here. But he says, continue in those things, the things you've learned and that you've been assured of, knowing of whom, he was talking about the Savior, so knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and from whom they came, all that. And how that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Can I just take these words for a moment? I realize the position that Timothy held and his teaching ministry that he had. But I just want to apply them to us for a minute if I could. Continue in God's word. You know what that word means? It means to abide in God's word. (laughs) Timothy, take God's word and abide in it. Learn, he says, and keep learning. Surround yourself with those, if I could say this, who would assure you. The scriptures assure you. Brothers and sisters assure you. Frankly, sometimes life assures you. Have you ever done that? Where something happened in life and you say, well, the scriptures are true. (laughs) I mean, there's all kinds of things that assure you, but be assured. Because the Holy Scriptures no doubt can make one wise unto salvation, but they not only can make one wise unto salvation, they can enlighten us to the implications of salvation. What um, implications are there? Well, among others, salvation means that we're to go on for obeying God to have a vigorous and to have an effective ministry. That vigorous ministry, that that diligent ministry, that ministry that comes forth of a heart that's tuned to God through his word, a heart that's uh, assured of who God is through God's word, that can provide words, testimonies of eternal salvation to others, right? It can point others to eternal salvation and transformation. Why is study important? I think we just touched on it. We just touched on it tonight. But I want to tell you that we have at least 10 questions to ask ourselves throughout this series. And I'm hoping that there's more because I've got a couple of other ideas for more. But I've got outlines in my head for at least these 10. I wonder if there are questions that God might use to make us, whatever our personality is, whatever position we have, whatever um, intelligence level we have, I hope that God would use them to make us more diligent students of his word. Here are the questions. 
For I'm hoping a people who don't just read, but abide in the truth. What can study do for me? Now, that may sound like a, a kind of a selfish question to start things off, and it's not. Because the word of God is going to, if you are to let it loose upon your character and upon who you are, will do anything but make you selfish or uh, give you the things that your flesh desires. What can study do for me as we approach a lesson called study and growth? I guess the chief thing there is that study can help you to grow. Where does study fit into my relationship with Christ? That's a lesson called study and discipleship. You know, there's a great deal taught about your relationship with Christ today. But if it's not accompanied by knowledge in the scriptures, by understanding of the scriptures, fails a little on its own. There's no real thought of some sort of growing relationship with Christ without the scriptures. We heard what Jesus said in John 17 himself about that. What can I learn from study? That's a message about study and education. I know that study isn't just for education, but it is for education. It is for education as well. Who else should be involved with my study? You, you already know, just so, because we're sitting here tonight, that there are other people involved in your study. I'll tell you what, there's lots of people involved in your study tonight that you didn't even know about. People I read, you think about, we just go back to the first quote from, from John Bunyan. There's lots of people involved in your study. But we'll talk about study and fellowship. How does study help in difficulty? That's study and trial. There's probably no time that I can remember in my life, at least. I'm just 45. There's no time I can remember when there's been a greater need to understand study and trial. Because there's been difficulty in the last couple of years of all sorts. You know, study, there's something that God uses in that, in difficulty. Will study help with gray areas? How about those? Have you ever thought about that? What does God really think about this thing? I haven't seen anything about that. I want to talk about study and gray areas. That's study and convictions. How can I use my study to reach others? That's a lesson on study and ministry. And then, just the last one I have here, am I disciplined enough to study? Again, I'm not talking about your personality. I'm not talking about anything that's just unique to you. Am I disciplined enough to study? We'll talk about study and commitment. Along the way, 
I'm going to try to provide every tool I can find to help. I mean, we are really privileged to have copies of the scripture in our language that are just readily available to us. I mean, even if English isn't your first language, at least if you speak English, you have a wealth of uh, resources. They, they do things for us. They define and they explain and they give background on passages that are challenging for us. It's a great thing. And God uses them in the world to help set his people apart for him. It's a great thing. And so I'll provide you with everyone I can think of and everyone I know uh, as we go along here. Because study is important. And Jesus, I think, based on what we talked about tonight, made that abundantly clear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. I think we've already just acknowledged by being here that study is important. Yet we we need to just remind ourselves why. So many reasons. Help us to understand those as we go through. Give us insight on what the scriptures can do, what knowing them can do to just deepen our relationship with you, to make us capable of having just a a strong relationship with you. And then um, help us to to execute on those things, to, to act on those things that you teach us. We'll need that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.